Have you ever walked past a dumpster and been like, yo, I wonder what's in that dumpster? I can put on these glasses. Let's start eating that trash can. <laughs> Sometimes I wish this dam would burst and bury this cursed town. If I wanted to kill you, I'd have choked you like a chicken as soon as I walked in that door. Soon I will kill you. Son pied, son French for her food smells lovely. Prepare to be murdered. Mais pas des That's Sanskrit. For your toes are like perfume. Oh, yeah, my dad, I'm That's Spanish for I'm going to kill you. Buzz cut alabamians spewing colored smoke in their whiz jets to the strains of rock you like a hurricane. What kind of country fried rube is still impressed by that? Hello. Greetings. From the quarantine zone. Day. I don't know. I don't know. Four. <laughs> Four? Five? What is it in real time? Is it. I don't even know what days it is anymore because of school getting canceled and Today everything. Today's the 21st, I think. You are still going to work, but you're working like seven days in a row. So Kevin works at a grocery store, so he's considered like an essential, what you call expendable, but everybody else calls essential worker. And I'm a school teacher, so I'm being able to do a lot of things remotely. So we're very lucky in that regard. To all of our friends, like in the service industry and with, you know, business owners and musicians and all of that stuff, we're really bummed that all of this shit's happening on top of the fact that there are also people dying that sucks too yeah this whole thing's crazy yeah this is really unprecedented and i know you don't need us telling you that because you can just fucking open facebook or your eyes or your eyes but i've you know i've been doing a pretty good job of kind of keeping away from the craziness and really locking down and doing my research on this week's dude this week's dude this week. Who's this dude. week's dude, dude? Well, first off, I just want to say this is True Crime Dumpster Podcast oh, yeah. with hosts Amy and Kevin. And we were just ready to jump right into it because, you know, we're back in the country. you already know who we are. Yeah. We're back in the country. We come back to craziness. And it just kind of feels like all hell broke loose. Mexico was way more chill than this, I got to say. <laughs> yeah. But also, we were in Mexico like a week ago at this point. So it's a little different. But Mexico was fucking awesome. We got to hang out with all of our friends and see some killer bands. And it was go to very, very cool. Temples. And everyone kept joking like, oh, you should stay longer. And it's like I would if I wasn't afraid that they were going to close borders and I didn't have elderly parents to like come and take care of. So yeah. Thank you to Raul for setting all that stuff up. Yeah. He doesn't listen to the show. That's OK. <laughs> I think he said he did. It'll I don't trickle know if I down. Gracias. And Cynthia and Karina. Everyone was awesome. We had such a good time. And. We were lazy tourists because all of our Mexican friends spoke for us. <laughs> Which also, for the first time ever, I didn't feel like an asshole. You know what I mean? But we still got the shits. Yes, we did. So I think everybody did. Yeah. Even the vegan did, who was kind of bragging that she didn't, and then she did. <laughs> just, yeah, prolonged. Uh, I'm sad she did, but you know. So there you go. That's uh, probably more information you ever needed to know. 
So this week, you're probably wondering who the heck we are discussing, or you can just read the episode title, which is Kelsey Grammer. So why would we do Kelsey Grammer? Because his last name's Grammer and you're an English teacher. No. Well, it's a crime that his last name is Grammer, but it's spelled E-R. <laughs> See, he's fucked from the start. <laughs> so Kelsey Grammer has had some of the gnarliest shit happen to him that any human being can happen in their lives. It's just interesting because he's got a lot of connections to true crime stuff, as do many other people in Hollywood. But he's it's, just one that, like, it just one after the other. It's, it's just, pretty crazy. The, hit, the hits keep coming. Yeah. Another, like, notable person, which I, I usually, I like to connect our podcast to other podcasts as well. There's a podcast that I really like called Moms and Murder. And I know the name kind of makes it seem like it's going to be, like, this annoying show. But it's, they totally, they're moms, but they don't talk about it all the time or anything. And they do, it's really well produced. And it, it's just, they're funny, they're smart, they're well-researched. And they just did an episode on Woody Harrelson. His dad was a contract killer. Yeah. And is still in prison, and they did a really, really good job with with that episode, and I didn't know all that. They've also done an episode on Phil Hartman, which not a lot of podcasts do, but yeah, everyone knows that he was murdered by his wife, which was pretty crazy. It was a murder-suicide. Yep. So there are some dark connections, some dark stuff, obviously, in Hollywood, but today we're going to explore the tragedies of Kelsey Grammer. Kelsey Grammer, Dr. Fraser Crane on Cheers from 1982 to 1993, and the same character in his own spinoff show, Frasier, from 1993 to 2004. He has also been the voice of Sideshow Bob on The Simpsons since 1990. Which is crazy. That's 30 years of being the same character. And he says that it's his favorite. <laughs> he has won five primetime Emmys three Golden Globes, and one Tony Award. But what about the man behind all the awards and roles? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Ooh. He was born on February 21st. Which is my mom's birthday. Happy birthday, Keiko. You don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> 1955 in Charlotte. Am Amali? Thank you so much. I was going <laughs> to slaughter that. In the I'm Amalie. I mean, it's fine. Okay. Charlotte Amalie. In the United States Virgin Islands. Two years later, his parents divorced. Kelsey's father, Frank Grammer. And also it gets tricky because I think it's Frank Allen Grammer. And then Kelsey Grammer's, technically his first name is Allen, which I believe is his father's middle name. So it gets a little confusing because I think it's Frank Allen Grammer. And a lot of people refer to him as Frank and Allen. But it's confusing because Kelsey Grammer's first name is also Allen. <laughs> So once we get done talking about Kelsey Grammer's dad, it'll be clear that we're just talking about Kelsey Grammer. Sorry, this <laughs> little it's disclaimer. Confusing. It's confusing. Yeah. Okay. I'm confused. Frank or Alan, Mr. Grammer. <laughs> daddy. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how many people call him daddy. I don't want to know, actually. I mean, all of his kids. Ugh. Anyways, he owned a coffee shop and a bar and grill called Greer's Place. That just sounds like somewhere you want to eat, right? I think of Pam Greer, and I want to eat there. Hey, now. <laughs> It'd be funny if it was a coffee shop. Get it? Uh, no. Pam Greer? Really? Okay. She was in a movie called Coffee, I'm pretty sure. I've, you know, I haven't seen that one. Okay. I don't think. So he also owned and operated a local newspaper, the Virgin Islands View. That sounds kinky. 
Additionally, how does that sound kinky? <laughs> it, well, it kind of sounds like he's peering over and yeah, watching it's everybody. Like, it's like a it's, it's a, a the, newspaper the peepers for peepers. Paper. <laughs> yeah, finally a paper for peepers. <laughs> Additionally, he had a music store in town know, as well. It sounds like he owned the entire island. And what's crazy, too, is that if you read other articles, it's all like humble beginnings. And it's like, that does not sound humble. Like, he owned everything plus the news. Like That does not sound humble. He's right? like the Rupert Murdoch of the Virgin Islands. Yeah, sort of. And that's going to become an issue as we see later on. Oh, shit. I'm going to gloss over some of the source material that we borrowed from, which... Apparently, some podcasts don't do, and Ooh. they get in trouble, I found out. So I want to make sure that glaze we do Glaze it on. That. Yeah. Glaze it on. I'm glaze, glaze it all over this place. Yeah. All right. So some of them were from the article called The Tragic Life of Kelsey Grammer from todayifoundout.com. I know it sounds real legit. A lot of this stuff was very kind of gossipy, like websites, like TMZ-ish, because it's, it's Kelsey Grammer. The next website is 20 Tragic Things You Didn't Know About Kelsey Grammer by Sam Stanhope. Inside Kelsey Grammer's Turbulent Life of Drug Addiction, Murder, and Shark Death. Wow, that kind of gives away some stuff from the mirror. Yeah, fuck. The never-ending tragedy. Okay, you get it. There's a there's a trend. And if you want to see the rest of the source material, you can go to our website, truecrimedumpster.com. But I, I just want to say that I heavily borrowed a lot of source material online, and this in no way is like original because I guess nothing can be unless I'm talking about my own personal life. So again, thank you for all of the people that contributed to me being (laughs) able to summarize this for you. And thank you, the internet. We love you. (laughs) I know, especially now. So the first tragedy of Kelsey Grammer really started with the murder of his father. So that's just kind of giving away right there. His father gets murdered. Kelsey's father came to St. Thomas in 1954 from New Jersey. The island is made up of people of color, uh, the majority is. Seen as how Kelsey's father owned a bunch of things, including a media outlet, he was not loved by everyone, publishing strong attacks on what he termed, quote-unquote, local insanities. So I feel like that's basically saying that he made fun of local people. You know... With this coronavirus thing going around, mm-hmm. I'm not sure how long it's going to be until we don't start seeing some local insanities. Yeah. On April 4th, 1968, Martin Luther King Jr. was shot and killed in Memphis, Tennessee. On April 9th, the day of King's funeral, a man named Arthur Bevan Niles was ordered off the road by police because it was covered with inflammatory statements such as, quote, Kill the white pigs. His car was. Yeah. So he had like kill the white pigs written all over his taxi cab. I believe he was a taxi. I think he he ran a taxi cab. Subtool. (laughs) Um, Kevin, the bee is silent. (laughs) Niles also tried to burn down a house and two rental cars at the Cyril E. King Airport, then named the Harry S. Truman Airport. In addition, Niles placed a bomb in the St. Thomas offices of the International <laughs> Telephone like and Telegraph. I know. So in a matter of a month, he did a whole lot of shit. But luckily, the bomb inside the International Telephone and Telegraph Company building did not explode. So kind of following his kind of month-long rampage of violence, in the middle of the night on April 24th, so this is just 20 days, about three weeks after Martin Luther King's assassination, in the middle of the night on April 24th, 1968, Niles ended up outside of the Grammers' home. He set fire to Grammers' car 
in order to lure him outside. When Grammer stepped outside to see why his car was on fire, Niles shot Grammer, killing him. That's a fucking jack move, man. Yeah? Lighting your car on fire. Yeah. You know, if you saw Lighting somebody else's car on fire. Yeah, no, it's brilliant on his part, but... It's not... On the killer's part. Oh, I know. But, like... Imagine seeing your car on fire. That's you a, run outside and then someone like comes up and punch. shoots you. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. It's, yeah. Yeah, that's cold-blooded, motherfucker. Yeah. And also at this point, Kelsey Grammer is about 13 years old. And he actually, I don't believe, was living on the island anymore. He had moved back to New Jersey with his mom because his parents had divorced when he was like two years old. And I think that he would see his father from time to time, but they weren't quite as close. But obviously... It had a huge effect on him and his siblings as well, you know, mm-hmm. to hear that your father was murdered in <laughs> cold blood. And that the and like the, just Kelsey Grammer has so much fucking baggage that he has to deal with throughout his life because it's not like the killers are then shot by police like they continue to be alive to this day. Like Arthur Bevan Niles is still alive and, and uh, you'll hear more. All right. So on February 10th, 1969, the U.S. VI District Court, oh, I'm assuming that's United States Virgin Islands District Court, decided that Niles was not insane and thus was able to stand trial. But because Niles was suffering from paranoia, Niles should not be allowed to represent himself in court and counsel should be appointed to him. Niles was found not guilty of the murder by reason of insanity, which is interesting because he was found... Sane enough to stand trial, but insane when it came to murder. Yeah, that doesn't make much sense. (laughs) Yeah. So he was found not guilty by reason of insanity and spent several decades in a psychiatric ward. In 1994, he was reassessed to no longer be a threat to society and was released. Oh, good. So at some point in 2002, District Judge Richard A. Cooper issued a restraining order to prevent him from seeing his 34-year-old son, Rico. But he did not stay away, and he was eventually apprehended when he tried to go see Rico. In response, Niles wrote a threatening letter dated November 13, 2002, to Judge Cooper saying, in part, Then I would have to come back to Maryland and kill you, Your Honor. You're not supposed yeah. to threaten a federal judge or any kind of judge. So at in, least you said your honor. Yeah, I know. It's like, sir, I regret to inform you, I will have to kill you, my honor, or your honor, or whatever. <laughs> it just sounded, it sounds like cordial and crazy at the same time, you know? Yeah. So in it's March, a gentleman of, about it. Yeah. In March of 2003, Niles went back to prison for his death threat. At a November 22nd bail hearing, Niles said, Just keep me in a jail where I can be safe and you can be safe, or put me in a gas chamber. I do not deserve to live because I have killed people and I am not sorry for what I did. I would be content and happy to be in jail if you could find a cell for me to be alone. That's incredibly sad. Why? How is that sad? Because he's super aware that he's fucked up. Okay. I guess it's just that I find it sad to find that realization about yourself that you're such a dangerous human being that you just you have to be locked in a cage the rest of your life and you can never be trusted to be out again. Like, I I appreciate that, like, he had that revelation, you know, 
but like basically saying it's it's kind of that same thing with the the cordial death threat to the judge mm-hmm. is just like I regret to inform you that I am insane and need to be taken away from society. You know, like it's a sad realization. But I'm glad that he realized it about himself and that I guess he's hopefully getting the help that he needs. The few pictures I've seen of him were, you know, upon his release. And it's it's sad because I think one of the reasons he got super pissed at the judge and threatened to kill him is the restraining order against his son. Because one of the pictures I saw of him, he's actually wearing a shirt that says number one dad on it and stuff. Mm-hmm. And like, I think he really genuinely wanted to have a relationship with his son. And maybe they had one when he was in prison, but... You know, as I've heard on a lot of true crime podcasts and shows and stories just in general, that you can have a relationship with someone while they're in prison because you have all the control of, you know, if you're not in prison. But the moment that they get out, you don't have that control over them anymore and you don't know how they're going to act. And there are people who definitely get out of jail and fucking murder their spouse or murder the, per- you know, a pen pal or something because it's just like they're they're allowed to act the way that they want to because they're no longer incarcerated. Yeah. So I'm just glad that he had that revelation and didn't kill the judge or his son or anything. And like I said, I mean, I don't know if he's getting the quote unquote help he needs, but at least he's not out killing people anymore. I don't know. It's just always sad to me. Like whenever I, I don't, I I don't have a bleeding heart that much for murderers or anything. So don't get me wrong. But even like the stories I hear about like Ed Kemper or like David Berkowitz which they're humongous pieces of shit that will should should be locked away, obviously, forever. But when you hear about these serial killers that sort of have a heart, which I, I hate saying that because I know they're humongous pieces of shit who killed hordes of people, you know. But when they when you hear things like that, they won't show up to their appeals, you know, or they won't show up for their parole hearings because they're just like, what's the point? Or if like, I don't I don't belong outside of these walls. Like yeah. that, I don't know, I always make see, it, like this tiny stupid tear comes to my eye when I think about that stuff because it's just like, man, you are so aware that you are a monster. Yeah, but they also are very, I don't know what their accommodations are like, you know. Yeah. But they've been there a long time, so that's all they know at this point. And then that totally reminds me of Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. Like, oh, what do you do when guy. you get out? I know, right? Oh. So seven years after his father's murder... Kelsey would have to endure another harsh twist of fate. Kelsey was in his second year at Juilliard for acting when everything would change. Freddie Lee Glenn was a civilian worker at Fort Carson near Colorado Springs, Colorado. He began his involvement in a killing spree on June 19, 1975, when he and two other soldiers, including Michael Corbett, decided to assault Daniel Van Lone, a Four Seasons Hotel cook, who had just gotten off work at the time, and they grabbed him. They then took him to a secluded area to kill him. Corbett shot him point-blank in the head, and the trio made off with a whopping 50 cents for the killing. And just for you listeners thinking, what the heck does this have to do with Kelsey Grammer? We actually haven't mentioned anything about the Grammer family at this point, right? This is just background on this dude mostly, right? Freddie Lee Glenn? Mm -hmm. Okay. Don't come at us. No, I'm just, just making be patient. sure. I'm just making sure that I'm getting it too. Buckle up. Okay. Here we go. On June 30th, 1975, Freddie Lee Glenn and several other men attempted to rob a red lobster. 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 Okay. Wow, you did a pretty good job, actually. Yeah, thank you. 
uh, in Colorado Springs. They left without any money, but on the way out, they grabbed Karen Grammer. She was 18, who worked at the restaurant because they feared she could identify them. After robbing a convenience store, the men took Grammer to Glenn's apartment where they raped her repeatedly. She pleaded for her life and offered to do anything they wanted so she could live. Mm. Yeah, it's fucked. so sad. I know. It's fucking terrible. After promising to take her home, the man sat her in the car, put a cloth over her head, and eventually let her out in a mobile park. But before they let her go, Glenn, who according to court testimony had taken LSD, stabbed her in the throat, back and hand. After leaving her for dead, Karen managed to crawl this back. Yeah, so this is harsh, yeah. I mean, everything about this part. Oh, fuck. So okay. Karen managed to crawl back to a back porch of a nearby home that had a light on. Unfortunately, no one was home. Hmm. Detectives describe a scene where Karen had left bloody handprints and fingerprints where she had tried to ring the doorbell. From her fingerprints, she was inches away from the doorbell when she passed out. So it's... I know. Fucking crazy scene. Although, given no one was home, ringing it, it wouldn't have done any good for her. But, you know, she didn't know that. So she ended up dying on the back porch and was not found until the next day. Police didn't know her name for a week until her brother Kelsey reported her missing. He had to leave school at Juilliard to come and positively identify her. A little over a week after Karen's murder, Glenn and Corbett met another Fort Carson soldier to sell some pot to him. Corbett recently had been training with bayonets, and instead of making the sale, decided to stab the soldier with a bayonet, supposedly to see how it felt to stab someone. Nice guy. In 1976, Glenn was convicted for all three murders and was sentenced to die via the gas chamber. However, in 78, the Colorado Supreme Court overturned the death penalty sentence. Later, in a 2009 parole board hearing statement, Kelsey stated, she was so smart and good and decent, she wrote poetry. We could laugh for hours together. I was supposed to protect her. I could not. It very nearly destroyed me. When we heard this man might be paroled, the suffering began anew. Needless to say, his parole was not approved. Glenn was eligible for parole in 2014, but was denied twice with his request deferred for three more years. In his emotional testimony given via video conference at the parole board hearing, Kelsey Grammer offered forgiveness after being convinced that Glenn was remorseful for killing his sister, but did not advocate for his release or freedom. Corbett died during the summer of 2019. Yeah, and I believe that Freddie Glenn is still serving his life sentence, and I don't, I don't think he'll ever get out. But what's crazy, though, is that the thing that both his sister and his father's murders by strangers have in common is that they're both men of color. And these were both like men on rampages. You know what I mean? And they just weirdly like the grammar family was in the weird crosshairs of these like total strangers, violent rampages. It's really strange. And it's also strange that Kelsey was I mean, it's not strange, but it's just crazy to me that like Kelsey was able to forgive that dude yeah 
Like, but at the same time, if you don't forgive someone who's wronged you, it gives them a lot of power over you, you know? So I think it's his way of saying, this is how I have power over you, is that I can forgive you, but I can also deny you of your freedom. So that's a lot of power he has over. And also, like, he's a shit ton. At, by, by the time we're hearing from him, you know, in 2014 at the parole hearing, he's, like, rich and famous at this point. So he has a lot of power on, on top of just being, you know, the victim's surviving family. Prior to when he was 20 years old and before, he wasn't famous yet. He was going to Juilliard. But that actually ended up not panning out so well because of his sister's death. Not long after her murder, Kelsey was expelled from Juilliard. He had stopped attending classes and began abusing alcohol and drugs. However, he did land a three-year internship at the Globe Theater in San Diego, which eventually landed him in Broadway with his debut in 1981 as Lennox in Macbeth. That's weird to go from I know. New York to San Diego back to New York. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I didn't know there was a Globe Theater in San Diego. The more you know. His success on Broadway gave him the opportunity to star in another Shakespeare play, Othello, alongside James Earl Jones and Christopher Plummer. I don't know who that is, but I know who James Earl I Jones bet he is. Fix a sink. Yeah. <laughs> Spelled P L U M M E R. Oh, damn it. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's why a lot of people think that I don't think he ever finished his education at Juilliard or anything, but I think that's one of the reasons that people kind of see him as this esteemed actor and he is you know obviously but he did broadway and i think that's when he probably won his tony award because that is that what you win tony is broadway i think so you're asking the wrong yes dude. yes he I, he might have an i don't think he has an egot do you know what that is that's a bird right <laughs> that's an egret <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was one solo egret. Egot is Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony. Did you not know that? Why would I know that? I know. A few people have gotten Egots. Do you know who I am? Yeah, you're the dude who doesn't know what an Egot is, but you know every single kind of metal and could play like any fucking Cannibal Corpse album. I don't know. Am I pretty right? It's about half true. Okay. I'm a dude. <laughs> All right. Are yeah. you ready? Are you ready for more? Uh, are, I don't know. Are you ready for some more true crime tragedy? Well, it's not even. Thor's hiding his head. I'm not sure if he's ready. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's too much. In June of 1980, Grammer's half brothers, Stephen and Billy. So remember, he's got half siblings from his dad's side. There were at least four siblings that were present when Kelsey Grammer's dad was murdered. And then he's got at least his, you know, sister and maybe another sibling on his mom's side. So he had, a, but, you know, obviously his sister died. So on his dad's side, he had four more siblings. Two of them were named Stephen and Billy. And they both died in like a freak scuba diving incident off the coast of St. Thomas. Yeah, it's so I crazy. know. So Billy didn't resurface. Like he, they think, and it's so sad because he never found his body. They think he was attacked by a shark while he was scuba diving. So that's why the other brother kind of freaked out. And but the other dove. brother never saw him? No. Because he wasn't in well, the Well, so here's what happens. People, I think that a lot of this stuff is alleged because it all happened in the water. And all they knew is that there was one dead body at the end of it. So what happened is they believe that he went to go get his brother or to figure out why he didn't resurface. And Stephen went down and then quickly came back up. 
and he suffered a fatal embolism right because of the improper ascent back up to the surface so his body was recovered and they know what happened to him because you know he got the bends i think that's what it's called right yeah i think so and then billy's body was never recovered and it is likely that a shark either ate his dead body or that's actually how he died was he was attacked underwater by shark that is fucking terrifying man the shit that i've read about scuba diving oh man getting left in the middle of the open water and attacked by sh- i've read have you, you know have you seen open shark- water no i actually haven't but you it should was watch it it's pretty stressful oh, it's awesome i've seen what's the other one with ll cool j that's the only one i care about deep blue sea he played like the cook on the ship i think and he did a good job that's all i remember i'd love ll cool j a lot so who doesn't i don't know probably no one he wore those fuzzy Kingall hats. It was so cute. I had a big crush on him. I watched the show that he was on. Am I telling you too much? <laughs> no, but you're blushing. In the 90s, he was a sh- he was on a show. I think it was called Man of the House. Do you know? Uh, do, do you, oh, yeah. We're different ages. I went outside when I was young. I watched television when I was young. <laughs> I think from 1990 to 1999, I was raised by television. I don't think my parents... <laughs> just watch tv that's all i did i was raised in the streets i was raised in front of a television on breaks i would have to go practice piano but ll cool j was on a show called man of the house i believe and he was so cute in it that's the only reason i even remember the movie that he was in because i was such a fan man i loved him omg yes he still looks really good oh totally (laughs) okay So after the shark attacks, just real briefly. So that's kind of like the major family tragedy that he's had in his life are those four deaths, which is that's, more uh, than enough. Yeah, nothing that's, to shake a stick at. No, 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 no. Don't shake any sticks at it. it <laughs> it's a lot. So some of the stuff that kind of happened that we're going to talk about now is what you could read into is like kind of the effects of living a very tragic, fucked up, crazy life. One is that he has been married four times. Who hasn't? Hopefully not us. <laughs> <laughs> Grammar has been married four times. His first marriage was to dance instructor Doreen Alderman from 1982 to 1990, although they were separated for the last six years. So they could just say that they were together for like two years because that was six of the eight years they weren't even together. Looks good on paper. Yeah. After his divorce from Alderman, Grammer had a daughter with hair and makeup stylist Barry Buckner. And his daughter went on to become, like, some reality star person. There you go. Way to go. I know. His second marriage was to Stripper. And it said that. It did not say sex worker. It did not say exotic dancer. It just straight up said Stripper. All the sources. So I'm going to go with Stripper. Okay. And this is, remember, like, the early 90s. Leanne Suhani. Suhani. In in September of 1992, which lasted one year. This is the one that That has a little bit of a criminal name. Yeah, she's really pretty. I bet. He filed for an annulment when she was three months pregnant and evicted her from their home. So it (laughs) sounded kind of crazy. I think what happened is that she threatened to kill herself when he did all of this and she ended up going to the hospital. And I think she pointed a gun at him. Like, it got real ugly towards the end there. And they almost ended in, like, a murder-suicide kind of a thing. But Been there almost. Really? There was no guns, but... (laughs) Then that's not even close. Was there a miscarriage? (laughs) 
<laughs> Wait, was it? Okay, no, no, no. Okay, he's, then it's he's got me beat. Okay, no miscarriage, no gun, no comparison. <laughs> Crazy chick. Okay, cool. Okay, the glove don't fit. <laughs> then don't acquit. <laughs> you must acquit. Oh wait, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh OJ. Well, that's Johnny Cochran, right? If it Johnny Cochran. If it don't fit, acquit. Is that what he says? That's what he tells the ladies. Oh, I love it. Rest in peace, Johnny Cochran. Or don't. No, he's dead. Oh, no. Lots of people are dead. Yep. Most people. <laughs> Most people that have ever existed are dead. Yeah. That's true. Thanks Thank- for pointing that out, Louis C.K. Oh, let's not. He's a penis man. He's a penis <laughs> We all are. <laughs> no, it's real bad. He just likes to show his off more than others. Oh, that No, no, no. It's more than that. Okay. So... In 1994, he met 28-year-old Tammy Balazuski. I think I said that right. Yeah, nailed it. Also known as Tammy Alexander. I think that was an easier name. That was her valley name. At a bar in Manhattan Beach, California. In December 1994, they appeared together on the cover of People magazine. It's not a flattering photo of either of them. Announcing their engagement and Grammar's substance abuse problems. I went down a weird rabbit hole on this woman. She is strange. So she is now like, so after their divorce, well, they never got married. After their broken engagement, you know, he cheated on her with his upcoming wife that I'll talk about in just a moment. He was a playboy bunny. So, I mean, he was just like a playa. Fucking banging some. Yeah. And they all, they look exactly like each other. They're all hot, tall blondes with super long hair and huge tits. Sounds like he's got a type. He's definitely got a type. So the Tammy chick, I like looked into her. She's super interesting, but she's got quote unquote two PhDs. That's like like the first thing that happened. It's called left tit and right tit. (laughs) No, She's got like metaphysical degrees and stuff, like oh, from really? like a spiritually hill healing college. And it seems like all the colleges are in Sedona. I looked into That's them. That's not too far from here. Right? And if like you go to a college website and the first thing that pops up is like a donation for from PayPal, it just doesn't feel like a legit college. And it was like two PhDs for the price of one and all this stuff. A twofer. Yeah, so she got a twofer, and she has written some books, and her one kind of claim to fame is that Vanna White said that one of her books was one of the best self-help books she had ever read before. Vanna White's supposed to be woke as fuck. (laughs) Really? No, I don't know anything. (laughs) Okay, I thought you were I don't know anything, actually. She knows how to spell. I've heard that she's into weird shit. Wait, Really? Or are you just making this up? No, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I was like, because we could do an episode on Vanna White. That'd be interesting. Don't quote me. Okay. No, I'm sure Vanna White's But I think fine. I've heard that somewhere. No, you didn't. You just made that up. Just like you were making shit up last week. <laughs> so he cheated on her with, with his eventually third wife in 97. Actress, model, dancer, Camille Donatachi. I did not look that up. Donatasi. Donatasi. She w- became famous because she was in the Real Housewives of Orange County, L.A. One of those places, Beverly Hills. Beverly Hills. Okay, Beverly Hills. It's a place. <laughs> yeah, I think we've or been Hollywood. There. We've been there too. Okay, 
all of that stuff is pretty much the same. Somewhere in Los Angeles County, she was a real housewife, and she very much plays like Kelsey Grammer's ex-wife. She's a former Playboy bunny as well. I don't know, are you a, if you've ever been in Playboy, are you considered a bunny? Or do you have to be like a centerfold? You've got to be, yeah, one of the... Centerfolds? One of the nudie chicks. Okay. No, I, I don't she, think... No, you could... Be, I, I think they're all bunnies. Like, even like... She the, was like featured in like lingerie. So I don't know if she went fully nude, but it really, she also did porn. So wow. that's aside from everything. Yeah. They met on a blind date in 1996. <laughs> so on July 1st, 2010, Donna Tachi... I want to say Donna Tassi. Donna Tassi. When you say Donna Tachi, it sounds like one of the Ninja Turtles. I kind of like it. <laughs> <laughs> on July 1st, 2010, Donatello filed for divorce, <laughs> citing irreclin... Oh, my God. I can't say that Erectile word. Erectile dysfunction. <laughs> Irreclin... Oh, my gosh. Irre irreconcilable. On July 1st, 2010, yeah, nailed it. Donatello, whatever, filed for divorce, citing irreconcilable differences. That go. is a hard word. Irreconcilable differences. Irreconcilable. She also accused him of being a cross-dresser, which her words, not mine. Oh, snap. And that, like, he couldn't get it up unless he was wearing women's lingerie, and that sounds like an irreconcilable difference. Sounds like half the people in Congress. Yeah. Well, he wants to run for office. Did you know that? <laughs> there you go. On August 12th, 2010, Grammer announced that he was going to be the father for the fifth time with girlfriend Kate Walsh, an English flight attendant, 25 years his junior, and they married at the Plaza Hotel in New York City on February 25th, 2011, two weeks after the finalization of Grammer's third divorce. He really didn't waste no time in between divorces getting remarried. Gotta give this guy credit. He's... I don't know what he's doing. Really good at getting married. But he's getting around, I also buddy. read, it sounds like Kate Walsh like knows that he is a playboy. And so I think she made him have five different weddings. So they had a wedding like in New York. They had a wedding in LA. They had a wedding like England. She made him have five different ceremonies. That's what I've read. Sounds cheap. But again, he's kind of like the, you know, celebrity gossip shit sh stuff. So that's why I don't know how much to believe in. But I, I did watch an interview with him being interviewed by Conan O'Brien. And he does admit, and there's pictures of him getting a tattoo of her name by his crotch to mark her property. So that if he does decide to ever like veer outside of the marriage, they'll see Kate tattooed by his dick. Unless he grows and a big old bush. <laughs> I bet he does. That has a bald spot. Two things that are near and dear. <laughs> <laughs> to your heart? <laughs> to this story. Mm. Cocaine and DUIs. Two let's, of his favorite things. Let's talk about them. Throughout the 80s and 90s, Grammer was no stranger to the courtroom or inside of a jail cell. He was constantly in and out of those places because of cocaine and drunk driving. A bad car crash in 96 finally got him to check into the Betty Ford Center. Other notable figures to go to the Betty Ford Clinic. We used to hear about the Betty Ford Clinic all the time. I know, I know. That's why I thought it'd be fun, kind of fun to, like, There's there was a lot. So that's why I just... Betty Ford Clinic regurgitated. So... The first one is Daniel Radcliffe, and if you guys don't know, which most of you probably do, do you know who he is? No. You don't? He played Harry Potter, and I was reading like- What a... did that guy do? What do you mean? He played Harry Potter. Was Daddy? he addicted to cigarettes? <laughs> no, he was an alcoholic. Ew. 
And he said he spent most, like I read an interview with him. He said he spent most of the Harry Potter movies drunk. Like he was drunk during all those scenes. Well, I imagine shooting that stuff. It's a lot of waiting around. Yeah. So he would have us, you know. Yeah. Yeah. We'll sneak so, here and yeah, that's, dabble there. I mean, that's how you do it. That's how you kill time. Well, that's how you end up at the Betty Ford Center. That too. Liza Minnelli? Yeah, yeah. I've heard of her. Probably her mom went there too, I'm guessing. Do you know who her mom is? Um, Mrs. Minnelli. <laughs> Judy Garland. Did oh. you not know that? No. I mean, I've heard that, but I don't pay attention to that kind of shit. Okay. Because I'm pretty. Yeah, that's her mom. I don't care. All right, you keep going. Okay, so hold on to your socks, but Flavor Flav went to the Betty Ford Clinic. I bet he didn't stand out. <laughs> he always knew what time it was. Well, the person in front of him always, always did. Um, <laughs> Ozzy Osbourne went there. Probably a couple times. David Hasselhoff. Ooh, honk alert. <laughs> Freedom alert. Germany. Yeah, he brought down the wall. He by himself. All by himself. Yep. And Johnny Cash. Yeah. Those are just to name a few. Drew Barrymore went when she was 13 years old. Isn't that crazy? Impressive. Yeah, that might be one of the youngest people to go. So in 1995, the actor was accused by his child's babysitter of statutory rape. She was only 15 years old at the time. Yeesh. Yeesh. However, a grand jury decided not to convict Grammer due to the lack of physical evidence in the case. They did... Listen to some voicemail messages, but this was not deemed to have been enough proof to convict Grammar of the crime. So, yeah, a lot of that. So that sounds a little sketchy. Yeah. One last little tragedy of Kelsey Grammer's that kind of didn't fit in anywhere else, so I just thought it would be a mention here, is that his very good friend and the producer of Frasier, his name is David Angel, he died in the September 11th terrorist attacks. Angel and his wife, Lynn, were both passengers of American Airlines Flight 11, the first plane to hit the World Trade Center. That's so, crazy. Yeah, I know. It's just, it's such a small number of people, like in the big scheme of things, that died in the plane specifically. So just to have even known someone that was on the plane is pretty crazy. Let have you alone, heard of all the people that were supposed to be on those planes that somehow didn't make their flight? I, that's what I've heard. That's pretty crazy, too. I know. There's definitely... We could definitely do an episode of 9-11. I don't know if I want to. That shit's dark and fucking twisty. Dancing Israelis. What? Look into it. So what do we think of Kelsey Grammer, not 9-11? Well, I'd, I'd give him um, a 7 out of 10 for choosing Babely Babes. <laughs> and an 8 out of 10 for... Cocaine and DUIs. <laughs> um, I don't know if that's good or bad. His acting was whatever. <laughs> but aside from acting, I think, I mean, he seems for what? <laughs> do, you, do you want to keep going with this or do you want me to interject? <laughs> I just meant like, what do you think of his life? It's completely fucked up. Yeah. Like, can you imagine losing that many people out of your family? No wonder he's fucking... Dark as fuck. Doing blow and getting drunk and banging tens. I thought, you, I thought they were sevens. Well, I mean, until they open their mouth. <gasps> Kevin! <laughs> I'm cutting that out. I mean, 
it sounds like he's done some shitty stuff in his life, but at the same time, like he hasn't killed anyone. We all have done shitty things, doesn't except he? Amy. I think she's a fucking saint. That's what I'm trying to corrupt her. Don't worry, I'll, I'll break through. <laughs> it's only one day. been like ten and a half years. One day I'll break through. Yeah, I mean, he just had a very sad and tragic life, and he found a lot of success out of his tragedy. But like with that success came a lot of depravity and like dark shit. And it's crazy too, as you'd expect. Yeah, but also like he's considered a comedian, right? Yeah, Is yeah. He? Mm-hmm. He's also considered a kind of like I don't know a if he's real ever actor. done like stand up or anything like that. But was Frasier was it funny? I don't even. Yeah, remember. yeah, it was a comedy. Yeah. And on Cheers, was he was Cheers was a comedy too, right? Yeah. But mm-hmm. did he play? I think all the shows were comedies. Yeah, because I mean the Simpsons. Broadway, too. obviously not. But. Yeah. But I mean, like he's. It seems like a lot of comedians have this like dark element to them, you know. That yeah, it's almost well, like you need that kind of. Part of I don't it, think yeah. he was ever stand up though. I don't think he wrote the stuff that he was funny about. But like, yeah, comedy and, comes from a fucking dark place. It does, and so he's hilarious because he's had some of the darkest shit ever happen before to like any single person that I know of, you know. Yeah, no it's shit. Pre- it's harsh. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there's definitely people out there, but in terms of like like really successful well-known as t- far as people who were on cheers for a few years yeah he's got the worst life so overall we give him a six out of ten that seems fair <laughs> i don't even know what that means <laughs> we're really glad to be back in town and un- we're grounded <laughs> yep the the government grounded us uh we sent us they sent us to our rooms there's no National Guard on the streets yet, but maybe next time we talk to you guys, there will be. We'll see. Yeah, I hope for the best. Plan for the worst. Stay healthy. Stay away from people. Keep your distance. Only else. cough on cats. Oh. They're immune. So we're dogs, right? Uh, I don't know. Don't cough on our dogs. Cats are assholes. So you can join our Facebook group, True Crime Dumpster, where we post weekly and discuss the crimes that we talk about on our show, as well as other related, somewhat related things. Basically, it has something to do with true crime. Yeah, Amy posts a lot of cool stuff. What was the, the last one? Well, the one I liked the most was um, O.J. Simpson said he would go crazy if they closed all of the golf courses. Yeah, which so I don't want to know what O.J. Simpson crazy is like. Apparently, O.J. is not doing so good in this lockdown, and he's about to go crazy if he can't play golf. So watch out. He's in Vegas, Watch out, right? Vegas. Yeah, Vegas. Yeah. Watch out on those greens. Follow us on Twitter, TC Dumpster, and on Instagram, True Crime Dumpster. You can email us at truecrimedumpster at gmail.com. But why, really? You know. Have we got an email yet? Uh, the guy from True Crime all the time emails us from time to time, but it's mostly oh. just because he's replying back to my emails to him. Well, that's I nice love, of him. I love them. They're like, I call them my True Crime dads. Although I think they're only like 10 years older than me. <laughs> wow. They were very young when they had me. <laughs> we also have a website where we post our source info at truecrimedumpster.com. And Amy posts that because I'm I do most shitty at it. I do most of it. Listen to, you're the, you do Twitter. You're the tweeter. Listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, and Spotify. And look for us on Patreon very soon for a bonus episode. Because realistically, what else are we going to do during this time? Yeah. Maybe you can give us some ideas on our Facebook group. Yeah, because the Patreon, we I really want to do an episode with my dad. But I don't. my dad is somewhat elderly. 
He's in his 70s, and I don't want him to leave his house. And I hate Skype, as you guys know. So we might be doing something else as our first Patreon episode. So stay tuned for that. It'll be a surprise. We're and just going to send letters back and forth via the mail. <laughs> it's going to be a very long episode. <laughs> yeah, because we're going to wait in between for the response. Yeah, exactly, yeah. It's going to be like two weeks long. And then lastly, rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends about our podcast, especially since they're probably not doing anything right now because they probably can't be slinging drinks at the bar anymore. I'm sorry. Tune in next time where we talk out the trash. We love you. Stay indoors. Stay safe. Yep, stay safe. Ba 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 